Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. This is episode 14 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I'm super excited to be talking with Teresa Atkinson. Teresa is Derek's mom and founder of Derek's Place, a recovery cafe. Derek suffered years of addiction before that addiction eventually took his life. The relationship between Derek and his mom was tumultuous. There were periods of time when she tried tough love and had to kick him out of the house. There were other times when she just immediately took him in after another relapse. Derek tried going into recovery many, many times, but uh, none lasted. We spend a good deal of the conversation just talking about addiction and the toll that has on both the addicted and their families. So if you know people whose children are suffering from addiction, this episode is certainly for them too, not just for those who grieve. It is really amazing to me what Teresa has been able to do since the death of her son. She is in the process of starting a recovery cafe here in Grand Rapids, which you will hear more about in this episode. It is based on a recovery cafe in Seattle. She did tell me that they gave them a grant of $50,000 to start the cafe. So uh, that did get them started, but she is certainly accepting donations and I will have links to those pages where you can donate right on my website, andysmom.com. I hope that you all learn a lot from this episode because I know I certainly did. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for Teresa for agreeing to come on today. Oh, thank you, Marcy, for asking me. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about what you have done about Derek's place. And, um, but first of all, I just want to learn about Derek. I want you to tell me all about him. Oh my gosh. Derek was, uh, uh, he just had this great sense of humor and um, he always just went to the beat of his own drum, always. I mean, and that caused a lot of problems in our family when he was little, (laughs) Um, but he just always had so much spunk and energy and... um, when he was four, he uh, decided that he was a puppy. Oh. And he, for a whole week, he crawled around on his hands and knees, and we had to call him Dirk. He was <laughs> Dirk the dog. His, uh, where he slept was underneath the coffee table, and I, when it was time for dinner, I had to put his plate on the floor, and he ate it like a puppy, and he barked and stuff all week. So that was always a story that um, we always loved to tell as when he was growing up and as he got older. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. You were a pretty fun kind of mom, though, to actually be totally okay with that and give him his food on the floor. Oh, I, know no. a, I know a lot of moms. I'm a pediatrician. I know a lot of moms that would not have done that. Oh. Would have been, like, calling us up on the phone that something's wrong and oh, he's acting gosh. like a dog. I did have one five-year-old come in and tell me he was a robot one time. Oh. Yes. So I had to yeah. listen to his heart and, yeah. He was a robot. I think he was a robot for, you know, a week or two as well. So you just have to let them be kids. Yes. It wasn't always fun. But um, yeah, that was that's a funny story about Derek. And he was uh, he he never went with the norm. I think that Derek always felt like he didn't belong. Okay, but he wouldn't like 
if he went to work for someone else, he never had that job for very long because he did not like to follow directions. So he, um, for a while, he had a fencing company. He had learned how to uh, put up fences, privacy fences, and he did that for a while. But then he learned how to cut down trees. Okay. And he loved it. And he was really good at it. He was a really good salesperson. He was very charming. And he loved doing that. And he loved being 100 feet up in a tree on a harness with a chainsaw and send me videos of it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you Freaked to, you out. Yeah, you need yeah. to stop because you're going to give your mom a heart attack. Yes. Um, but he was a, kind of a daredevil. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. He loved the, the adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. He liked to ride dirt bikes and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he had his own business and he, um, when he was doing good, he, he did really well in his business and, Mm -hmm. um, he was just, and he would do anything for anyone. I remember following him a couple years ago. I took him to pick up his truck across town. We were on the West side and, I was following behind him and it was raining and we were going underneath the overpass to get onto the highway and there was a man standing underneath the overpass, a homeless Mm -hmm. man, and Derek stopped his truck and I'm like, what are you you doing? doing? And he got out (laughs) and he took off his coat and he gave it to the man and he got back in his truck and I called him. I'm like, what did you just do? And he said... It's raining, Mom, and it's cold out, and I gave that man my coat. I can get another coat. And wow. I'm just like, that's my kid. Yeah. And he's such what an awesome person. Loving, caring person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. he uh, And he was like that. I remember uh, at one holiday dinner, um, his younger sister, her son, needed a prescription, and it was $40 for the prescription, and she didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And Derek had $50 in his wallet, and he went and bought that prescription for his nephew. And I mean, that's just what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Just had a heart for others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I... I know I listened to another podcast that you were on a little bit of that. And Mm -hmm. um, so as a kid... He had uh, ADHD struggles, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. My auntie did too. So, yeah. Yes. yeah. That's always. It didn't like, yeah. I mean, back then Fun. it was Ritalin. They were giving all the kids Ritalin, mm-hmm. and he didn't like the way that it made him feel. And Yeah, because it makes you feel different. Yes. Mm-hmm. He just said he felt like a zombie, Yeah, and he didn't like that. And you know, he was nine it. years old. He wanted to be Dirk the dog. He didn't want to just yeah. be sitting yeah. there yeah. Yeah. doing nothing. Yeah. So yeah, he he had ADHD. They said he had ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. But yeah. that's the only that's the only time he had ever been diagnosed with anything. Uh-huh. I mean, I think as he got older, I probably should have taken him in to um, see if maybe you know there was something else. Something I always else thought that he was bipolar, like as as a teenager and as mm-hmm. a, a young adult. He because he would just be so up and so down mm-hmm. just from one extreme to the next. He mm-hmm. was either doing really well mm-hmm. or he was just sucking at life. Yeah. Uh, honestly, my son Andy was very much the same way. His highs were so high and his lows were so low. Mm-hmm. And it would drive my husband crazy. He, Andy always drove him crazy just because of that. My husband is just much more even keeled and Andy was just up, down and all over the place. Mm -hmm. And he was a joy to be around when he was excited. But, you know, if he hit a bad golf shot or something, I mean, the world was going to end. He was so upset. And if he did poorly on a test, it was terrible. And I'm the worst kid at whatever. And nobody likes me. And we would get a lot of that, too. And that Mm -hmm. can be frustrating as a parent to parent someone you know with those kinds of self-doubt at times Mm -hmm. and then other times though just higher than high and he was Derek was uh was very angry he would get Mm -hmm. really angry at just little things Mm -hmm. um like one time he was changing the battery in my truck and I don't know the cable wouldn't come off or something and the next thing I know 
Derek's out in the yard just swearing at the top of his lungs mm-hmm. and throwing stuff. And I was like, get away from my truck. Yeah. Just calm down. What What is going on? And But he would just fly off the handle mm-hmm. like that. And he just... And I, I really, you know, I've taken care of a lot of kids with ADHD and studied ADHD a lot. And the big thing is, is it's just very hard to regulate emotions that way in that part of your brain that usually helps kind of temper things it just doesn't it just doesn't work the same way and so those emotions just take over and they're different emotions for every person for Andy it ended up being a lot of anxiety he would just get really really anxious Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't have angry outbursts it would be just this anxiety and worry and concern um but again it's it's very very similar because it's just your the emotions jumping in and taking over the brain just really taking over Mm -hmm. so I think that's what probably was happening with him too it's just the way he was wired Mm -hmm. and then you have to try to find your way back to your reset again Mm -hmm. when things just take over like that and and that probably leads into a little bit of the story of what kind of began happening with Derek, I would say. Because a lot of times people that have emotions that take over, they feel like they try to maybe self-medicate a little bit. And Mm -hmm. my guess is he probably tried to do that a little. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah, The earliest that I know of was 14 when he started drinking and smoking pot. Mm -hmm. It could have been before that, but that's when I knew. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. That's tough to take. On a 14-year-old, for sure. Mm -hmm. So that's when you first found out about that. And how did that kind of progress, or what's the story there? It just got worse and worse. There was nothing that I... I had no control over him Mm -hmm. at all, none. He would leave and be gone for days at a time. This is like through high school years? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and he he got expelled from his high school because he was disrespectful. Derek was always getting in trouble for disrupting class, mm-hmm. always. But mm-hmm. that, you know, that was his ADHD. Yeah. He was bored sure. and he disrupted class all the time. So he got expelled from there and they sent him to one of the alternative schools. And I took him to school every morning. And then mm-hmm. a few months after he started going there, I get a phone call from a truant officer. And he said, if you don't start making sure your son goes to school, we're going to put you in jail. And I was like, excuse me, what? Because you <laughs> thought he was. I, I said, I take my son to school every morning. I drop him off. I watch him get out of my car at the school. And he <sighs> said, he has not been to school in weeks. And you had no I had idea. no idea. Yeah. So apparently what was happening was because Derek had a friend that he would get high with that lived right across the street from the school. So Derek would go in the front door, I would watch him, and he would go out the back door and go to his friend's house, and he would sit there all day. Oh, my word. And wasn't going to school. So he eventually got expelled from there Uh um, because he pulled a pair of scissors on a teacher because he didn't like what the teacher was telling him. So... I just, I was at a loss. I had no idea what to do with this kid. He was 16 years old mm-hmm. and he was not going to just lay around my house. There, That was not a thing that was going to happen. And I sent him to live with his dad. Uh-huh. That didn't last long because they fought and fought and fought. So yeah. after just a few weeks, I went and got him, but I heard about this uh, military school that's in Battle Creek. Okay. It's the Michigan Youth Challenge Academy, and it's for at-risk youth. And Derek went. He said he would go. Uh And it's free. Really? Yes, it's free. And so he had to go do like a PT test up in Grayling, I think, is where the Army or the National Guard thing is where they go in the summers. Um. So he passed his PT test, and then he went, and it's a six-month program. Okay. And it's military style. And Derek, everybody loved him there. Yeah. And he was doing so well. Did he do well well. there? He did so well. And then a week before he was supposed to graduate, 
um, another cadet said something derogatory to Derek or something. Oh, no. And Derek picked up a chair and hit him over the head with it. Yeah. So the staff sergeant called me, and he was actually crying. And he said, I, I can't let him stay as much as I want to let him stay. I can't because that's sending the wrong message yeah, to, yeah. to everyone else. And he said, but I want him to come back for the next session, which was a month away. Mm-hmm. So he did. And he, he, again, he did very well. And he graduated with a 4.0 GPA mm-hmm. and did so good. And... Well, and you know, kids like Derek do well with a lot of structure. Yes. And I mean, it's so much better. I always, even Andy, when Andy was little, I, you know, and they want you to, you can like maybe say what you want for a teacher. And I would always say, I need him to be in the strictest class with the strictest teacher there is because he loved structure Mm -hmm. and kids do with ADHD do so much better with structure and probably one of the worst things the high school could have done is stick him in that alternative school because there is not much structure in those schools Mm -hmm. they just kind of want to help get you through but it's that would not have been a good fit for Derek so I can see why this would have been perfect for him Mm -hmm. I mean just knowing what I know I it would be. I'm yeah. I, it's not not surprising to me at all that he excelled there. He did, and he really liked it. And he like got to be a leader there, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he did so well. Mm-hmm. But then that ended. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I mean he he was sworn into the Marines. He was going to go into the Marines. Really? But then when he got out, he got scared. And he didn't want to be away from home. And so he went out and smoked pot the night before he was supposed to go to boot camp. So he got a dishonorable discharge for drugs and he never even went. Oh, no. And he always, he always would say, I I wish I would have gone. I think my life would have turned out so much different if I would have gone. Yeah. Because he would have probably excelled in that. Yeah. 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 He needed that structure. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But instead, he just, I mean, you get anxious, you think this is going to help calm me down. And in the short term, it does, right? In the short term, that pot does make you feel more calm and more relaxed. It just doesn't help things in the long term. No, not at all. No. So I am assuming then that the drug problem kind of accelerated and got more to than more than just pot then at some point. While he was still in high school, he started doing coke. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he did that for a long time, a lot of years, and he was always in and out of jail and Mm -hmm. never with drug charges, but just stupid stuff like drinking and driving or getting into fights or Mm -hmm. trespassing or, and, but it always, he was always drunk or high when any of this stuff happened. Sure. And I would say Derek can't don't you see what's Mm -hmm. what's happening i mean maybe you need to stop doing what you're doing and try something else well i'm not doing anything i'm just living my life mom just stay out of it and leave me alone Mm -hmm. and it was just and then in 2012 um he had his own business his own tree business and he actually hired uh, one of his cousins to come work with him Mm -hmm. well this guy smoked crack and so he oh no introduced Derek to crack and he so he started doing that and it was just all downhill from there mm-hmm. he, yeah I mean he, but he never stopped trying to get clean he was always was always going to rehab but he never stayed oh he did the okay. longest time he stayed in Kent County was nine days oh and he just, he would not stay. I mean, with, I don't think that 30 days is long enough anyways no. for the drugs that are out there, but nine days certainly isn't no, long enough. No, no, But he just, he would never, he never stopped trying to get clean and stay clean. He, you know, over the course of the years, he had two children with two different moms, um, boys, and he loved them. And mm-hmm. he wanted to be 
a good dad to yeah. them. That's yeah. all he wanted. But he told me one time that the reason that he relapsed all the time was because he had so much shame and guilt for what he did to people while he was high. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't handle, handle it. his feelings. Yeah. And then so he would do that to numb the feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you hear that a lot. And, yeah. and I see, too, I see a lot of high school kids, now even some in middle school, that just really downplay pot. Oh, Dr. Larson is just a little pot. It's not a big deal. And they don't understand. And a lot of times I, I will talk to them about how you do stupid stuff. You do stupid stuff when you're high. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. You know, you just aren't thinking right, right. when you are high. And so eh, it's not just, you know, it's not just the actual drug use. It's what other stuff ends up happening, like right. you talked about. Yeah. You know, all those other ways that he broke the law and right. had to be arrested and spend time in jail. Right. It wasn't just the drugs. It was what the drugs would right. do it's to what... the consequences. Yeah, it's the consequences. Dirk never thought about the consequences before he did something. He never did. And I would, before he would go out at night, I would tell him, you just remember that the decisions that you make tonight are going to affect you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Oh, mom, whatever. Yeah. But it's true. It's so true. And I used to think that about pot. Well, it's just pot. Who cares? But I was talking to Derek about it one day. He goes, mom, he goes, pot is a gateway drug. And I said, how do you, how do you, why do you think that? And he said, because if you're hanging around people that smoke pot, there's going to be people that do other drugs around too. Yes. Yes. And then you're going to be introduced to these other drugs. Mm-hmm. And he believed that pot was a gateway drug. And I mean, when he, the way he explained it to me, I was like, well, I might be a minority, but I would have to agree with you. Yeah. I saw an eighth grader once who had done heroin a couple of times, an eighth grader. Man. And she said to me, because I was talking to her about it because her mom found out about it and immediately brought her in for me to like try to talk some sense into her I don't know but and actually her parents got on got a family medical leave act so that they would not leave her alone for a while so I don't I don't know what ended up happening with that because you can't do that forever no um but she said if I had if there was heroin here in this room right now I would do it it was the most awesome high ever and I'm like I don't even know how, what to say. I mean, I'm trying to talk to that this flawed thinking, but you know, when you're young, right, you're not thinking about anything more than those few moments that felt amazing. Mm-hmm. Not about any of the consequences, any of that other stuff. And she, right. she knew it in her head. I mean, she would say the right stuff to me. Oh, I know I shouldn't do it. I know it. But I also know that if it was here right now, I would do it. So she knew herself, too. It's just so scary and to me. Right. And that's what she had started, just smoking some pot, right? And then she got around some kids who had heroin. And then she did, did that a couple of times already, you know? Oh, scary. So scary. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know how to handle that. Right. And it leads to the horrible tragedies, tragedy that ended up happening with Derek. Right. So what did happen ultimately in the end? In the end, um, on January 8th, 2018, Derek died. He died um, by hypothermia complicated by drug use. Mm -hmm. He was high and he, Derek's thing was he would do crack, Mm -hmm. but then he didn't like how he felt when he was coming off the crack. So he started doing heroin so that he would just go to sleep. Oh. So he had been doing crack all night and get, went and got some heroin from his dealer so that he could sleep. And he was in a park in Philly where he lived with his girlfriend. And there was a big rock down a ravine. And it was a flat rock. So he went down there to go to sleep. and To sleep it off or whatever. Yeah, he didn't wake up. And he was still alive when he was found. A runner in the park saw him from across the river. They saw a blue thing 
And so they went over there and it was Derek and he called 911 and uh, he did still have a pulse. He was still alive, but his core body temperature was only 72 degrees and they, oh, couldn't, my word. they couldn't warm him up. Then in the final toxicology report, he had heroin laced with carfentanil in his system, so um, he never had a chance. No. He never would, even if they would have known that and they would have given him Narcan, Narcan doesn't work with carfentanil. It's yeah. way too potent. Yeah, that's very potent. Wow. So wow. he, yeah, he, he just didn't have a chance. So how did you find out? So... Um, Derek's girlfriend, Sam, um, a detective came to her door and said that they had found Derek in the park and it didn't look good. Yeah. And so she called my oldest daughter and then I happened to be home for lunch at that time. And my daughter called me and said, told me what the detective had said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I called work and said, um, told him what happened. I said, I'm, I'm not coming back to work. I'm getting in my car and I'm driving to Philly. And, um, five minutes later they called me back and said, no, you're not driving to Philly. We're flying you there. Okay. So, um, the travel agent called me, we got everything set up. My flight was leaving, um, at like 2.45, and I was going to get to Philly at 7.30. Well, at uh, 2.09, the doctor called me that was working on Derek, and yeah. she told me that, you know, Derek is here, and this is this is what we're doing. We're trying to, you know, heat his body up, and we've been working on him for three hours. And I said... I'm not going to get there until 7.30. Is he still going to be here? And she said, I can't make any promises, but I am doing everything that I can to save Mm -hmm. your son. I said, okay. So I'm freaking out because I went and got a bag and put it on the couch. I didn't know what to put in the bag. Yeah. I just, I had, I had lost my mind. Sure. I did not know what to put in this bag. And then at 2.21... The doctor called me again, and she said, I'm so sorry he didn't make it, and yeah. I just lost it. And then so, I, and your flight's just about to take well, off? Yeah, yeah, I was going to leave at 2.45, and I hadn't even left for the airport yet. I, don't, I hadn't yeah. done anything. So then my daughter called me again, and she's like, are you on your way? Are you at the airport? And I said, no. And she said, Mom, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know what to put in the effing bag. Yeah. And I ended up putting in my toothbrush and toothpaste. I think I put some pajamas in there and one change of clothes. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I put in my bag. No deodorant, nothing like that. And um, I went and got on a plane. And I mean, I wasn't thinking. I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. I parked in short-term parking. Yeah. So <laughs> you're just not thinking though. No, I mean you're not. I was not I, at all. No. And I, I I didn't think. No. No. You do, you can't. No. I mean, you can't. I just there were no thought other than I remember cuz I had when I got home from work, I had taken my bra off and I was going to take a nap. Well, I never put my bra back on. So I'm walking through the airport and I'm like Oh my word! I don't have a bra. And I'm like, and then you know, and you probably didn't even bring one. Did you bring no, one? No, I didn't even bring one. So I had to go buy one. But and then you know I'm walking through the airport and you know I'm intermittently crying and I watching the people and they're all laughing and holding hands. Oh, and, and, the, and I yeah. was like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you laugh and be happy yes. when my son just died? Yes. Oh, it was just, and then sitting on the plane, I would just burst into tears and they probably thought, what's with this crazy lady here? I'm like, did anyone come up to you? Nobody, nobody, nobody asked me if I was okay. Nobody asked me what was wrong. Nothing. No. Why? That, that's really sad, actually. Don't you think? Yeah. Someone should have said something to you. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. know. I'm now. I might. 
Oh, but, yeah. But, I would now, but, but I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know that I would have. Yeah, I'm not sure I would sure think either. it was none of my business, I guess. Yeah. But now, I mean, I You saw, would for sure now, oh, I, right? Absolutely. I've yeah. done it because I was at the Meyer gas station this last summer, and the police came there, and there was a woman and her son, and they were tasing him, and all this stuff trying to get him under control. And I went up to her and I was like, are you okay? Yeah. And she said he was drunk and he was high and he was out of control. And I mean, I just gave her a hug and I said, you know what? There's nothing that you can do. You just have to let them do what they're doing. Yeah. And there's nothing that you can do. But you just had such a heart for her. Yes. and, And you were put there at that moment at that time. You know, to help her. You were. Yeah. You were. Yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I mean, every time I hear of someone dying, I always, the first thing I do is think about that poor person's mother. Yes. Every single time. And you just can't help it. Just Your heart just goes out Mm -hmm. because you just know the journey that they're about to embark on, that they are already experiencing. And that they need to be surrounded by people that do understand because if you have not lost a child, you can't understand. There's no way that you can understand. No way. No way. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, I never would have. I mean, I've known people, friends that have had miscarriages and stillbirths and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I. But you didn't think about it the same way. No. But afterwards, now don't you think about it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did how did you get through this? Yeah, how did you cope? Mm -hmm. What'd you do? And you know, and then I read like in that group that I belong to on Facebook. Um, a lady just posted today that her, she only had two children and the second one last week just died of an overdose. They both died of overdoses and she has no children. She said, I will never be called mom again. And I don't know how to deal with that. Wow. And I, I I wouldn't know how to do, I mean, there's nothing I can say to her. I I mean, you've lost one and you can't even imagine the horribleness that no. could be in losing another one. No. I know I can't. Mm-mm. I I don't know how I'd possibly cope if I lost another child. Oh. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, I just, but I mean, I feel for, you know, and then there are people that, um, the, the people, that, the moms that have found their children oh, after they have OD'd. And... That grief is so much different than what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't even get to see Derek mm-hmm. until the day after, and he had already had an autopsy and everything, and I hadn't seen him yet. When We had to go to the funeral home on Tuesday morning, and I had to fill out all the paperwork and mm-hmm. everything, and Sam took me. I stayed with Sam the, t- the whole time I was there. and um, That's the girlfriend? The, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. yeah, and... I was, they wanted me to sign these papers and I was started thinking, well, I haven't seen him. Maybe it's not Derek. Yeah. I don't, it's probably not even him. I'm not going to sign these. And I looked at Sam and I said, are you sure it's him? And she said, yes, yes, it's him. Because she had been to the hospital. Well, right, right. But they wouldn't let him. I didn't realize this, but Sam had been sitting at the hospital all these hours. Yeah. And she didn't know anything because she wasn't family. They wouldn't talk to her. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was weird because I was standing in line in Detroit to get on the plane to go to Philly. And my phone rang and it was Sam's phone and I answered it, but it wasn't Sam. And it was, he told me he was a doctor. Uh And so he starts explaining to me everything that I already knew about Derek and what had happened and everything but it was so she could hear. Exactly. That was mm-hmm. the only way that, the, and I said, okay, but Sam's with him, right? And he said, no, she's not family. She can't be with him unless you say she can. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. So yeah. he died all alone. Oh, Sam wasn't even there. Oh, no. And so then That's that That's too was, bad that they didn't ask you that earlier. 
I know the doctor. I mean, I know she was busy working on Derek. Yeah, she and that's the thing. They were just so busy. Well, yeah. Sam wouldn't have gotten there until after Derek did. Yeah, right. So because the detective after, right? You know, so they might not even have known that she was there. Yeah, probably they didn't at that time because things are so crazy. Right. When you're trying, when somebody's that bad. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad she did get to see him at she, least. Yeah, she, they let her sit in there with him for a long time, and she held his hand and yeah, stuff. So, I know I, I kind of understand that. I know, you know, Andy died on the side of the road um, after the car accident, and my husband, his dad, worked on him for a long time when I wasn't conscious, and. Um, but he was always about, he was about 15 feet away, I would say. And I, I, they never let me go closer. There was just so much blood. Um, and I was hysterical already at that point, And I think they thought I would get more so. And they had several people working on him as well. So I never did get to see him either mm-hmm. until after his autopsy at the funeral home. And I just, I so regret that. I really wish I could have held him one more time. And I'm sure you do, too. Oh, I do. Absolutely. And I feel terrible because I was like 15 feet away. And I think, why didn't I get out of that ambulance and ask to hold him one more time? But then I don't know. Maybe it was for the best. I'm sure he looked awful. Um, You wouldn't have cared. But I wouldn't have cared. You wouldn't have cared. And I would have gotten to hold him one more time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... That's just so hard. You just want to have those little moments, you know. If yeah. you think just, just what you would give for just a little bit more time, and what you would have mm-hmm. given if they would have been able to hold him, you know, keep oh, him alive for another five hours, mm-hmm. just so you could have held him one more time. Yeah, yeah, it's just hard. Yeah, it brings up those memories. Last week in my Facebook memories, it came up that um, in November, so it would have been a year ago, or two years ago last week, um, Derek came home for Mm -hmm. a long weekend. He got in on Wednesday afternoon, and he went and got uh, his youngest son, um, and they were going to stay with me for the weekend, and... um, I was so excited that he was coming. He had been clean for a little bit and was doing really well. And um, so he took us out for dinner on Wednesday night, and he was just so proud to be able to do that. Right. And, um, then on Thursday, he told me that a friend had just gotten a house and she wanted him to go out to dinner with him. Uh, to uh-huh. celebrate yeah and I'm like who's this friend because I'm already like yeah yeah I don't yeah. believe him and <clears throat> he tells me the name of this girl and I've never heard of her before I knew he was lying to me and sure enough he went out with his friends and he relapsed and stuck me with Christian when I had to go to work the next morning and oh I was just so angry with him because mm-hmm. I knew that he had relapsed and and you were so happy to have him home. I was, but I knew every single time he came to Michigan, he relapsed every single time. Mm-hmm. And so I always worried when he said he was, was coming, coming home because I knew what was going to happen. And I, but every time I would think, well, maybe this time will be different. Yeah, and it never and, was. And honestly, you have to end up having that optimism, right? Just to keep yourself. I don't know. I mean, if you would have ended up being this pessimistic, you're never going to amount to anything. Well, we it's going to be. You wouldn't can't. Have talked to no, him or you wouldn't, I have, wouldn't had, have seen him. No. So and you have to hold on to that hope. You really do. I never, I never gave up on him. No. I always, I, and I wouldn't, and I still don't. And, um, but and as mad as I was at him, and then he called me on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And I I messed up and I'm so sorry and he wanted to come So home. it was Thursday to Saturday? Yes. You hadn't heard Oh my yeah. word. So um and as mad as I was at him, I let him come well, back yeah. home. And, and you had his son I, too. Well, Still, no, or I you had, you give he had yeah. gone back home to his mom. Um but 
and I knew that I was enabling him. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I now I don't care that I enabled him because no. that allowed me. That was the last time I ever saw him, oh, and that really? allowed me to get to spend the rest of Saturday with him and Sunday morning before he left. And you know, I made him dinner, and yeah. you know, he put and, some shelves. And you up know for what? Me. Wouldn't you have regretted it horribly yes. had you said, "Nope, you screwed up." Yes. I'm not going to see you. I absolutely would have. Because it I was- mean, I don't blame people that do that, that feel like they need to do the tough love. But I'm so glad you didn't at I that know. point. I, I couldn't. And there, because it was also in November of that year that I got so mad at him. And I said, I don't want to talk to you until you are in jail or rehab. Mm-hmm. And I was so mad at him. Um. And he said, okay, fine. Well, but then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, he is so far into his addiction. Yeah. I have to talk to my son. And I'm now I'm so, so two days later, I sent him a text, and I said, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't not talk to you. I want to talk to you. And so he called me. Yeah. And we talked, and. Um, and you, I'm sure, just said, I just love you so much. I, right. I, yeah. I see what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. And, and I'm, so I'm glad that I didn't do the, didn't stick to that tough love because I, I would never have talked Mm -hmm. to him for the last two months of his life. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have helped anyway. No. And I I would have felt Think about all the things that you did. How, how old was he when he died? 32. 32. So this is from 14 to 32, more than half of his life. Mm -hmm. He battled this. You tried every single thing, right? Mm-hmm. You did the tough love by sending him off to the military school right. twice. Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you did what you could do. Right. You did everything you could do, you know? And, um, yeah. And that's what I tell moms now that have, you know, adult kids that are actively using. And they're, I'm like, you know what? You, there's nothing that you can do. Mm-hmm. All you can do is let them know how much you love them mm-hmm. and that when they're ready to get help, you will do whatever you can to yeah. help them. Yep, yep, Th- Absolutely. That's all you can do. You can't, and you have to do You can't what make them do it. Right, you have to do what you're comfortable with doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're not a person that can say, I'm not going to talk to you, th- then don't say that you're not going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You just have to do what you're comfortable with. I mean, I was I there was able is a to lot put that... Derek out of my house when he was 18. I was able to do that. I couldn't live with him because yeah. it was just so And that's what you needed to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of parenting. Going from tiny. Okay? Yeah. You know, I think about little little kids that are that you want to get so they're not waking up at night and you want them to sleep through the night. And I, and I always ask the moms, it's easier and faster if you let them cry it out. Will you be able to do that? But that's my, always my first question. Will you be able to do that? Because some moms can't. Right. And if you can't physically do that, I don't want you to try. Right. Because if you, now the kid cries an hour and you go in. Well, tomorrow night, they're going to cry an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to end up going it, And it's just going to keep getting worse. So then we come up with a different plan, right? So, and, and that goes from tiny all the way up to big. So if you can, you know, kick them out of the house and do that, okay, that's what you need to do. If you can't, you can't. Right. And we need to find another way. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be, it's not a one-size-fits-all no, kind of thing. Not at all. So now I really want you to talk about what you're doing now with Derek's place. So a few months after Derek died, I heard about a a place in Seattle called the Recovery Cafe, and they are a safe place for people in recovery, homeless people, and people with other mental health issues to come and get a meal, um, to be met with love and accountability and no judgment and they get to be with people that are like them Mm -hmm. that are going through what they're going through have gone through it um and I thought 
what a great way to honor Derek's life and his memory. Mm -hmm. And so I have started a a recovery cafe here. Uh, It's called Derek's Place, a recovery cafe. And I've been working on this since June of 2018. We're not open yet, but we're just so much closer to being open. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping to be open. So um, you started this only five months after Derek died. Yes. Wow. Yeah, but it gave me a purpose. Yes. Yeah. I totally get that. That's what I'm doing with this. This is giving me a purpose. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and people have said, well, don't you think that uh, doing Derek's place is too much and it takes you away from grieving or and no. I, no no I not at all I don't think that at all no I, mean, I don't know it's where somewhere I would to be if I didn't have this to do it, it's somewhere to put your grief yes yeah that's I, what the podcast is for me I have a purpose for my grief I can put my grief someplace and I can help other people with my grief Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what you're doing and why I was so excited to talk to you today I just want to help people like Derek yeah and um because they're good people and we've started so in July of this year uh we were having a taco dinner fundraiser Mm -hmm. and we had enough food to feed 150 people three tacos beans Mm -hmm. rice chips and salsa and a drink and 15 people showed up and so we had all of this food and I'm like I'm not throwing this food away no whatever food is left I'm taking it down to Heartside Park and I'm gonna feed it I'm gonna give it to the homeless people sure and, and that's what Derek would have wanted you to do. Exactly. I mean, think about the jacket, oh, absolutely. right? That's exactly what he would yes. have wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I went down there and they helped me unload. They're like, what are you doing? Because I took a pan over there and they put it on a picnic table. They're like, what are you doing? I said, I have tacos for everyone. Do you need help? They helped yeah. me bring it out of my car. They waited till everything was all set up. And then they ate. And... So they, you know, they were were just asking me questions about, you know, why am I doing this? And uh-huh. I told them about the fundraiser. And so then they were asking me about Derek's place and Derek. And um, it was just, it. they just touched my heart. And then when I was getting ready to leave, one of the men asked me if he could talk to me for a minute. And I said, yeah. So we walked away from the everyone else and... Um, he went to hand me money and I said no sir I can't take your money and he said but you said this was a fundraiser and I said well it was at the church Mm -hmm. but not here and he said well this is my church and I took up a collection because we want to help you with Derek's place and to to honor your son Mm -hmm. and I just burst into tears yeah and I took the money and thanked. I told him, I said, you know what? This donation means more to me right. than a $1,000 donation. Yes. And um, I got in my car and there was five $1 crumpled up bills. Yeah. And it just, I will never spend that money. I still have it. it when Derek's place is open, that money is going to be in a frame with the story of that man and the people at Heartside Park. And on that day... I decided that we're going to go down there once a month and and give them lunch. And that's what we do. We've been there every month since then. Um, And it just, I go down there like an hour before we're going to serve lunch. And I just walk around and I talk to people. And they just, I mean, they're just such good people. And Mm -hmm. they just, and I don't know, I I just, I like doing it. And... Mm -hmm. One of the, um, in September when we went, I sat down next to a young man on a bench and introduced myself and he said his name was Patrick and we were talking and he said, can you help me? And I said, well, what do you need help with? And he said, can you help me get off the streets? And I said, well, Patrick, what do you think the first thing is that you need to do to get off the streets? And he said, I need a job. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll help you. And so um, he didn't have, his clothes had gotten stolen from the shelter. He had just had surgery on both of his big toes. He had ingrown toenails. Mm -hmm. And so his toes were all bandaged up. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, her toes are going to get infected out here. Mm-hmm. And his medication had been stolen. So I went on Facebook and I took a selfie with Patrick and I put it on Facebook and said, Patrick needs clothes. These are his sizes. All of my friends came together. We got him. I'm we got him all the toiletries he needed. We got him clothes. I started making phone calls and on his behalf, and I would explain to people what was going on, and he needed a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would tell Patrick, I would send Patrick a text and say, you need to call this person. Here's And he did. Everything I told him to do, he did it. Mm-hmm. If I told him he had to be someplace at a certain time, he was there. And after three weeks, he finally got into um, the Guiding Lights Men's Back to Work program. Oh, wonderful. So he, um, and then he comes on, like last month um, when we went down there and served lunch and we had a bunch of winter stuff that we handed out, Patrick came there and helped us. Mm-hmm. And he, I Is he doing well now? He's doing well. Mm-hmm. He's he's in the program and he they found him a job and they take him to work and stuff. And so did he have a struggle with drugs at all? Do you he know? He did not. He didn't. He did not. Mm-hmm. But I knew But I think probably several of the people that you serve do though, oh, right? Sure, yes, they do because those people so when in the summertime, not so much now that it's been getting cold, but in the summertime when we go there there are people that are around the edges of the park, like under the trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are the addicts, and they don't come out. Mm-hmm. So I started taking lunch to them mm-hmm. because I knew that they weren't going to come out. And so right. I, well, we, we did um, sack lunches when it was warmer where they get a, uh, two sandwiches, some cookies, and some fruit. Um, so I would put a bunch of sack lunches in a box and I would go around and, and hand lunches out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you'd think, you'd hope that maybe some of those people will remember that. And when they, you know, feel like they want, it's time for them to get help. Yes. They may turn to you. I hope so. Mm-hmm. That's why I keep going down there. Just because yeah. I want them to know. I want all of the people there to know that they are worthy of somebody caring about them Mm -hmm. and they are worthy of having the life that they want to have. Yes. Because I know Derek, he never felt like he was worthy enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just get so down. Mm -hmm. You get so down on yourself Mm -hmm. and feeling bad about yourself and what, how you've screwed up that then it's hard to focus on the future. Right. And think optimistically Mm -hmm. that things will get better. Right. And I, Six days before Derek died, he um, had gotten out of detox. He had been in detox for five days. And um, after he died and Sam was going through his things, she found his discharge papers. And while he was in detox, he had been diagnosed with bipolar. Oh. And he never told her. hmm Yeah. So. Yeah. And all he would have had to do was take medication and yeah the right medication exactly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but I wonder if he would have been diagnosed with that years ago you know when he was a teenager uh, in his 20s you know if things would have turned out differently right but Mm -hmm. I don't know that he would have taken the medication because no you don't know right and all you can do is you know Act on the information you have. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have the information, you know, you just, there's nothing else you can do. You did the best you could with the information that you had Mm -hmm. at the time. Right. And I, that's what, that's one thing that I, all the what ifs. What if? I know. I know. Don't they kill you? They do. They just feel like, ah, if only I'd have done this, if only I'd have done this. Mm -hmm. But you know, we didn't. No. We didn't. No. And we did the best we could. We did. Um, so it, what Derek's place, your vision then, what's your vision for my, what this is going to be like oh, when it opens? My vision is, so it will be a cafe. We'll serve two meals a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, we will offer like life skills classes, like mm-hmm. 
you know, how to dress for an interview, how to conduct or how to do an interview, how to balance a checkbook. At a recovery cafe, they are met with on their where they're at in their recovery or mm-hmm. in their journey. And then we have conversations with them and figure out what we can do to help them be successful mm-hmm. in their recovery or in their life. Mm-hmm. And I just want everyone that comes there to know that, you know, there are people that love you and and you deserve to have this great life that you want. And and will there be, I know I've read of somebody that owns a couple of restaurants and they have, they only hire um, addicts and former addicts to work at well, that they place. Well, they have to, to be, because you have to be a member mm-hmm. of the recovery cafe. Um, there are three requirements to membership. You have to be clean for at least 24 hours. Mm-hmm. You have to volunteer at the cafe. Okay. Yeah, that's what um, I was wondering. Yeah. Because I think that will be great. And what's the third yeah, thing? The Sorry. Third, no, the third thing is you have to attend one recovery circle a week. A recovery circle is where um, you, you're you met with loving accountability and you just share. You just share. Mm-hmm. And, you know... There's no judgment or anything. Yeah. And I think even in um, just my experiences with grief support group, we have people there in all stages, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the first grief support group I went to was 22 days after Andy died. And there were people there that were, you know, year out, two years out. Our facilitators, one was nine years out, one was closer to to 15 or 20 even. So it can be helpful to be around people that are in different stages of grief. And I would think the same would be the case when you're in far different stages of your recovery process from addiction. Mm -hmm. So the people that are just right there that are now only 24 hours clean and those that have been clean for five years even. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just to have that mentorship. a, A recovery coach that facilitates... Mm-hmm. the the recovery circle um and i just i mean i just want i just want people like derek to know that that it can be better yeah. and they can have a better life and they can be happy and and no one you can't give up hope on somebody no absolutely not and you just what, in our logo we have the tree of life and then it says hope in there yeah, because you, when you lose the hope, that's just hard. That's mm-hmm. I feel like that in so many things, definitely with this grief too, just going through this horrific grief. If, you, if I lost hope, I don't know how I'd be able to go on either. But you yeah. have to have that little bit of hope that although tomorrow might not be better, next week might not be that much better maybe next month will be better or at least the hope that at some point in time things will get better right and i don't know that they get better but Mm -hmm. they get they're different yeah i mean i know just um up until a couple of months ago for probably a year i isolated so bad yeah I, i would go to work and that was it Mm-hmm. I the, on the weekends after work I sat in my house I didn't leave my house oh it was, I started getting anxiety if I had to leave my house yeah. just going to work or even going to therapy I would get anxiety and I was talking to my therapist about it and she goes have you ever heard of agoraphobia and I'm like <laughs> yeah and she goes well that's kind of what you have exactly <laughs> she said you can't do anything without being anxious and I said no I can't no. And she said that's because you haven't left your house in so long. So It's just hard to be around people that are happy, though. It and is. that's just a struggle. And so then you feel like you just need to withdraw. And then you think, well, I don't want to be around people that are happy because it makes me, uh, you know, it gets me upset almost that other people are happy. And then you think, well, I don't really want to bring them down right. either. Right. So maybe it's best I just disappear. Yeah. That's why, it, to me, it's so helpful to be around other 
grieving moms. Exactly, because they understand and yes. they might they probably don't want to be there either, but no. they're there. It's it's just so much better because I feel like, you know, if I talk about Andy, they don't care. No. They're totally fine with it. It's great. Then I can hear all about their kids who've died and no one thinks that's weird. No. But if I would talk about my dead son in other places, People will think that's weird. Right. Like, you need to stop talking about your dead song. Exactly. Talk about your kids who are alive. Right. You know. You know, and I I talk about Derek all the time, and I had somebody say to somebody else, she talks about him too much. Yeah. She focuses on his death. She's Uh never going to get over them. No, I'm not ever going to get over this. No, never. And it's not because I'm talking about Derek and it's not because I'm focusing on his death. It's because you you never get over the death of a child. You You loved him so much and you still love him. Yeah. You still love him just as you've always loved him. And you talk about people that you love. Mm -hmm. You do. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that no. at all. That's what I feel like I need to pound that into people's heads, that there is nothing wrong with people who want to talk about their children who have died. No. It's not weird. It's you, normal. We're just afraid. I mean, I don't want anybody to forget Derek. No. And I feel like... And that's the biggest fear, moving, isn't it? Yeah. People mm-hmm. are moving on and they have forgotten about mm-hmm. him. And it's like, no. No. You can't, I'm not going to let you forget about Derek. No. He was... He was too big of a personality and a person mm-hmm. to, for people to just forget about. Well, I love what you're doing. I'm Thank super you. excited for you. Thank you. Um, how can people find out more? Well, our website is being worked on right now. Okay, so, so what's it going to be? It's going to be Derek's Place Recovery Cafe dot org. Okay. And Derek is D E R E K. Um, we are on Facebook, yeah. Derek's Place, a recovery cafe. Um, and we do have, we have an email address, which is Derek's Place 1818 at gmail.com. 1818. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's the anniversary. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, and are you accepting donations from people? Oh, or? Absolutely. I mean, do you have a... We, that we all have, set up? We have a PayPal. We okay. have a PayPal account. Uh, when our website is up and running, there will be a donate button on there. Um, people can send donations to P.O. Box 888802, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49588. Um, actually, right now, one thing that we're um, looking for is building materials. Oh. Okay. Like if contractors have leftover building materials from a job, we need drywall, we need two by fours, um, mm-hmm. just so that we can do the build out of our new space. Where's your space? Uh, it's on Ridgemore off of 28th out by Woodland Mall. Okay. Um, it actually, this is so funny, uh, Purple East was just in there and they moved out because they want to. I, I don't I know what that is. Purple East, it's a head shop. Oh, okay. Where they sell like bongs and oh you're pie. kidding me no. oh and that so is so funny when um i found out that that was in the bait or on the first floor of where we wanted to be i i said to the property manager i was like there is uh, you no can't way. do that we no. can't we can't rent this and they he said would you be willing to rent if we kick them out because they're just there on a trial basis right now and we're having a hard time running the upstairs because they're there and I said well yeah if they're not there but then they ended up leaving anyway okay um so yeah so the building's painted purple I hope they painted a different color because I like purple but not yeah. in the building <laughs> well good I'm so glad to learn more and yeah. I wish you all the best oh, thank you so much all right thanks thanks for listening to losing a child always Andy's mom please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.